four weeks ago on Mother's Day, we saw that the key to success for the excellent wife of Proverbs 31 was that she feared the Lord. In verse 30 of that chapter, we read, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Two weeks ago, we saw that King Solomon, after all his failures to apply his God-given wisdom appropriately, said at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes that the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. Indeed, Psalm 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This week, I'd like to conclude our series on wisdom by helping us understand more clearly what it actually means to fear the Lord. For that, indeed, is the key to wisdom. The Bible, maybe you've noticed, has much to say about fearing God, so I'm going to be drawing from that entire reservoir of truth. We should begin by understanding the word fear as it's used in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Phrases like the fear of the Lord or fear the Lord are used 86 times throughout the Old Testament, 18 of them in the book of Proverbs. All but one time, it's using the Hebrew word, verb, yahweh, or the noun that's derived from it. The verb is most often translated to fear but its meaning can range from showing reverence, honor, respect, to being awed, to even being afraid or being terrified or frightened. Therefore, we need to understand the way it is used in each context in order to understand the meaning. Is our fear of God to be simple respect or terrible fright? Likewise, the word fear is used 18 times in the New Testament in connection with our fear of God. And every time the Greek noun phobos, or the verb derived from it, is used. This is the word from which we get the word Phobia. Maybe you can hear that in there. It has the same range of meaning that the Hebrew word does in the Old Testament. So again, the context dictates which meaning is intended. In order to understand the fear of the Lord, I have grouped the biblical references into three categories. And that will be our outline. 
I think there's, there's an unwritten law that you can't handle an outline with more than three points. So I've limited it to three. First is the connotation of fearing the Lord. In other words, what it means, the connotation of fearing the Lord. Secondly, we'll look at the conditions for fearing the Lord, what it requires of us. And then third, the consequences of fearing the Lord, what it does, what it results in. First, let's look at the connotation of fearing the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means a number of things. In uh, one, one of those primary meanings of it is it means fearing God's wrath and judgment. Matthew 10, 28, for example, Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus didn't mince any words. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul, speaking to believers, said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. In Colossians 3, 22 through 25, Paul writes, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So it's not a bad thing to fear God's judgment or even his displeasure and disappointment. Now, as believers... God's wrath against our sin has already been borne by Christ in our place on the cross. And Christ's sacrifice fully satisf satisfied, in other words, propitiated that wrath, fully paid for. However, all of those who are in Christ will one day stand before that judgment seat of Christ and will be recompensed, paid back for all that we've done in Christ whether good or bad. Not for the purpose of granting or denying salvation, that's already secure, but rather to identify and reward what we've done that has eternal value as the final step of purification of the bride of Christ, the church. For us, fearing the Lord should mean fearing that we'd have little eternal fruit to offer him at that time of judgment. Secondly, fearing the Lord means knowing God. 
knowing God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 2.5 says that if you search for wisdom, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Both of these Proverbs use parallel statements to make a single point, which is a common poetic feature of many of the Proverbs. And in both cases, the fear of the Lord is equated with knowing Him, knowing God. That is, the more you really know God, the more awe, reverence, and fear you experience. Someone who doesn't know God tends not to have any fear of God. In fact, Romans 3 has an extended section you're probably familiar with that quotes extensively from the Old Testament various examples of those who do not know God and how they're characterized. Where it says, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. Then it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So to know God is to fear him, and to fear him is to know him. But fearing God also means putting faith in God. Exodus 14.31, after God rescued the Israelites from the uh, Egyptian army with the parting of the Red Sea and drowning all the Egyptians in it, tells us when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. To fear the Lord is to believe him, to trust him. Of course, the more we really know and fear him, the stronger our faith becomes. It also means enjoying obeying God. Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise the Lord! How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments greatly delights in his commandments. Someone who who fears the Lord delights in doing what God has commanded us. The more we know him, the more we trust him, and the more we want to obey him. No matter what, if we don't delight in obeying God, we really don't fear him and probably don't even know him. 
It also means pleasing God. I think you can see how these are related. But Colossians 3, 22 and 23, which I read from earlier about the instructions um, to slaves to obey their masters as unto the Lord, right? He says, um, as to those, uh, not with mere external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. All that obedience is ultimately to please God, not just men. Show me someone who is God-fearing, and I'll show you someone who seeks to please God above all else. Too often we seek to please those around us rather than God. We need to do everything as unto the Lord. He's our master, and we're his slaves. Well, if what it means to fear God still seems too vague to you, perhaps it would help to think about what it means to fear man. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've realized that you should have spoken up for Christ and even godliness or even share the gospel in a certain situation, but you didn't do it. You went along with a crowd, perhaps. Afterwards, you were convicted by that. Why didn't you speak up when the opportunity was ripe? Probably because you feared man more than you feared God. You didn't want them to look down on you. You didn't want to be thought of badly by them. You valued your reputation with them above all. You didn't want to experience other potentially negative consequences in your relationship with them. Well, fearing God is much like that, but for unselfish reasons. You know him and trust him enough to enjoy obeying him. And you don't want to displease him. What he thinks about you becomes more important than what other people think about you. Because he, is, he alone is worthy of that devotion. So, that's the connotation of fearing the Lord, but what conditions does it require of us? Well, first of all, we need to choose to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, 20 through 30 says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out, and at the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. This is now personifying wisdom itself. And she cries out, How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. 
I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm, when your calamity comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me, again, this, they were seeking wisdom at this point, they will seek me, but they shall not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. As we saw two weeks ago, we have to recognize that God is the source of true wisdom, not us. And we need to commit to following his wisdom. If we regard our wisdom to be superior we don't fear the Lord. The first step is to choose to fear God. Secondly, we need to seek to understand God's wisdom. Proverbs 2 begins by saying, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So we need to seek God's wisdom. Once we recognize that God is the source of true wisdom, then we need to seek that wisdom. If we earnestly seek for wisdom from God and his word, then we will come to know the fear of the Lord, to know God himself. But what do we need to do in order to recognize that God is the source of true wisdom and to seek that wisdom? One of the requirements is to humble ourselves and to hate evil. I find it very interesting that multiple places in the Proverbs, we see this con three-way connection between fearing God, humility, and shunning evil. For example, in Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, be humble, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 23.17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but fear the Lord always. Proverbs 24, 21 and 22. My son, 
Fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those who are given to change, that is, rebellion, for their calamity will arise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that comes from both of them, that is, from both the Lord and the King. So it is impossible to fear God if we're proud. Anybody have experience being proud? Yeah. It's also impossible to fear God if we cling to evil. Those two conditions are often linked in Scripture since it's our stubborn pride that causes us to choose evil instead of the fear of the Lord. Fourthly, we need to trust God's provision. In Deuteronomy 14, 22-23, we read the instruction to the nation of Israel, You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name the tithe of your grain, your new wine, and your oil, the firstborn of your herd and your flock. Why? So that you may learn the fear of your God always. One of God's purposes in establishing the, tri the tithe in Israel is so that the people would see God's provision. They would, by faith, give a portion of all the produce back to the Lord, believing that he's going to provide for them with only 90% of the produce. The more they saw the tangible effects of God's blessing, the more they would trust his provision. And the more they trusted his provision, the more they would know and fear him as he should be known and feared. Also, we need to, in order to fear God, we need to remember and marvel at God's power. Joshua 4, beginning in verse 21, says, um, Joshua said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? They've just crossed the Jordan River, and they're making this, by God's uh, command, making this memorial heap of stones. So when your children ask their fathers in time to come, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you uh, until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord God is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So we need to remember and marvel at God's power. Psalm 33, 8 and 9 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, 
and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. If our image of God is one that is patterned after man, then we have a very low view of God, do we not? And if that's the case, we won't really know him as he really is, and we won't fear him. But we when we understand and marvel at his power and his great works, that will cause us to fear him, to know him as he really is. And then lastly, in order to fear God, we need to obey him. Deuteronomy 6, familiar passage to many of you, begins by saying, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. In Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20, God gives instructions for kings who would come along in the years following. And he says, beginning in verse 18, Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law in these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the left or the right, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Perhaps you noticed that here it indicates that obeying God is a condition for fearing him, Yet earlier we saw that obeying God is also a connotation of what it actually means to fear God. In order to fear God, you need to obey him. And if you obey him, you'll show what fearing him means. Well, understanding then the connotations of fearing the Lord and the conditions for fearing the Lord, let's now consider the consequences of fearing the Lord, what it does, what's the result. First, you will gain wisdom, often referred to in these passages as knowledge, instruction, understanding, and discernment. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction 
for wisdom. And Psalm 25, 12 and 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He, God, will instruct him in the way he should choose. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. That's why the excellent woman of Proverbs 31 was wise. She feared God. So a second result of fearing God is that you will do what is right. Proverbs 14.2, He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is crooked in his ways despises him. Proverbs 16.6, By the fear of the Lord one keeps away from evil. Exodus 1.17, the example of the midwives uh, who, while the nation of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, um, disobeyed the, the uh, command of Pharaoh to kill all the male Hebrews. Exodus 1.17 says of them, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. In Exodus 20, as God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, we read, beginning in verse 18, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you. Why? So that you may not sin. Leviticus 25:17 So you shall not wrong one another but you shall fear your God for I am the Lord your God So that's why Solomon did not do what was right in the end or for much of his life he didn't fear the Lord as he ought to have A third consequence of fearing the Lord is that you will obey God. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13 says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding to you today for your good. And Deuteronomy 13, 4, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Well, that's interesting. We saw earlier that obeying God is not only a connotation of what it means to fear the Lord, 
and a condition for fearing the Lord, but here we see it's also a consequence of fearing God. If you truly fear God, then you will obey him. You can't separate obeying him and fearing him. Fourth, you will experience God's love and compassion. I read earlier from Psalm 103, verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Verse 13 of Psalm 103, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And verse 17, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. God loves us unconditionally, yet he delights in blessing those who fear him. Fifth, a result of fearing the Lord is that God will fulfill your godly desires. Psalm 145, verse 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear the cry, their cry, and will save them. So if we truly fear God, then our desire will want to be to please him rather than ourselves. And God delights in answering those kinds of prayers when we pray according to his will, calling upon him in truth. Sixth, a result of fearing the Lord is that you will enjoy physical benefits and long life. Many promises associated with that in the Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 3, 7 through 8. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Any of you have tired bones out there? Fear God. Proverbs 9, 10, 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied and your life will be added to you. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Some examples of that, actually, in, in uh, Deuteronomy 6.24 we read, so the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always and for our survival, even as it is today. It has practical benefits. Psalm 33, 18 and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death, and to keep them alive in famine. Psalm 34, 7 and 9. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. When we fear the Lord, we will avoid the many foolish things that often have physical and even sometimes life-threatening consequences. I think it would be a good idea for insurance companies to offer lower rates to customers who fear the Lord, don't you? <laughs> Lastly, there are emotional benefits to fearing the Lord. Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. And as we read, um, about the Proverbs 31 woman, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Isn't it interesting that when we fear the Lord, we won't fear man? And as a result, we'll have a clear conscience, contentment, confidence, and even the praise of others. Well, we've looked at the, the connotations, conditions, and consequences of fearing the Lord. But I'm going to slip in a fourth point here, if you don't mind. And that is some thoughts about our commitment to fearing the Lord. Have you humbled yourself before God? Are you characterized by humility or pride? Most of us have too high a view of ourselves and too low a view of God. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God and, and submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master in all aspects of life, not just on Sunday mornings. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I urge you to do so today. His life, death, and resurrection are the only basis for a right standing before God. And if you haven't yielded to him in repentance and faith, you should fear the wrath of God, eternal torment. But secondly, do you seek God's wisdom earnestly? Or do you merely ask for insight as to what God's wisdom is as maybe a last resort in desperation? Someone who fears God will be characterized not just by depending on him in times of trouble, but also by applying God's wisdom to avoid that trouble. Relying on things like diligent Bible study, Scripture memory, 
prayer, growing disciples classes, small group. All are useful to build us up in the wisdom and application of God's Word. Do you seek to deepen your understanding of God's character? As you study God's Word to understand not just His principles, but to grow in your comprehension of God Himself. I think most of us have put shackles on God, constraints. We're constraining Him by our lack of faith. And that's because we don't know Him. We don't fear Him. Let's not assume that those constraints we have put on God are real because they expose our low view of God. Do you seek to obey God and to please God no matter what others say or do? God calls us to be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. Yet all too often we disobey God because we fear man more than we fear God. That reveals our pride, doesn't it? And that we don't really know God all that well. I would urge you to commit yourself to please God by obeying Him even before you know what He's going to ask of you because you know that everything He would ask of you is good and right. Then you will have the key to wisdom. Let us close in prayer as we prepare our hearts to share together in the Lord's table. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled by your, your truth in your word, the examples in your word, the admonitions in your word. And we pray that that humbling in our hearts would bear fruit of repentance, of faith, and of fearing you as we ought, because we know you. We know that you are all-powerful, but also full of loving kindness and grace and faithfulness. May we fear you more than we fear men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.